and people think it's freedom. Could you kind of get connected with this? Very, very discouraging. I mean, it's discouraging when you come, you think you can get away with it, when you can't. But I think it's a very interesting uh, explanation. What would you say? True freedom is obeying the Ten Commandments. And? Okay, that's good. Anybody else? Peace of mind is true freedom because we're always being bombarded by the enemy with doubts and different things like that and discouragements. And also in Revelation 14, verses 9, 10, and 11, it talks about the mark of the beast. And it says that they have no rest day or night. I just found out, at least I believe it, that that is written in the present tense for, the, for those that have not accepted Christ because uh, Paul talks a lot about in uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and 3, or 3, about unbelief. And so they have no rest day or night. And so true freedom to me is knowing the truth, that it will set you free, you will have peace of mind, and every time I try and rationalize and go the wrong way, I don't have true freedom. Interesting. Keep in mind, while we're sharing this thing, keep in mind that when God created the heavens and the earth, and even before he created this earth, there were angels in heaven, and Lucifer was there, and they had true freedom. And yet, yet something happened where Lucifer became Lucifer, the great deceiver, and one third of the angels fell. And they were living in a place known as heaven, and they had true freedom. Okay, somebody else. You're going to say something? I think that true freedom is uh, thinking and believing what you want to believe, but there are consequences. <laughs> that, that is interesting. I, I like what you said. There are consequences. And if, if I may say this, Rodney, when you say consequences, it could be bad consequences and it could be good consequences. Okay? Please. I know freedom means differently for many people, for a lot of people, and also freedom covers a lot of areas. But I'm just going to point to one. For me, the greatest freedom that I have received is the assurance of a, the assurance of salvation, of which is it helps me to endure what the world's going through, 
because we know that we're going to a better place. We're going home. I didn't know if you were going to comment or not. <laughs> True freedom is where the wages of sin equals death does not exist. Interesting. Did you notice we were talking uh, more about freedom and false freedom in the sense of spirituality and yet to some degree, we brought in freedom here on this earth. Let me ask you something. They just got married. Uh, what was it? Uh, eight days now. Is that it? And you folk have been married four months. Uh, by getting married... Are you bound to each other? Bound to each other? Are you subject to each other? Let's use some other words. Are you Are you controlled by each other? And those of you who have been married for a longer time, are you, do you feel sometimes depressed because you are controlled? There's a fine line here, not only in our marriage, but also in our spiritual experience. Would, I, would you mind if I shared something that you know nothing about? No, she doesn't have to leave. When I said that, that uh, shall I share, she's not sure even what I'm going to share. But l let me tell you something. In life, there are consequences, but there's also situations that you have to deal with. And in a relationship to God, and in a relationship to each other and to our children, there is a point to where sometimes you wonder. Wonder what? Just wonder. Wonder what, what, how come things are working out the way they are. Okay. Did you know that my wife and I have been married for 66 years now? <laughs> Do you think that it was something that we've been just happily married all the time? No. We've had situations where we had to deal with. Yeah. Would you mind if I shared something? No, please. <laughs> there was a time when I told her, if, remember, we've been married for quite a while, if you can find somebody else that can take care of you better than I am, you can feel free to leave. <laughs> Somebody's going like this to me. Da -da 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 -da. And did you know 
that when I said it, there was a little bit of a situation where we had to deal with where. Yeah. No, 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 no. I I felt that maybe she wasn't happy with me, and maybe she should have the privilege of looking somewhere else. Did you know? Dan looked at me. And <laughs> Pastor, can I ask a question? No. Can I ask a question regarding what you're saying? Are you suggesting that our relationship with God sometimes is the same as our relationship with the wife? That it gets a little shaky? Oh, yes. Yes, it's, times are shaky, especially when Satan tries to interfere and discourage us. Yes, it's shaky. Did you, do you want to know what, how she replied? Do you, want, do you want to share, or do you want me to tell? She looked at me, and she said, if I have that type of freedom, why would I want to leave? And did you know that God wants all of us to have that type of freedom? All the time. To be peaceful, to be totally loving and kind and free, free, free. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something for you. And when I read this for you, you're going to say, really? Is that in the Bible? Nehemiah 1.9 says, What do ye imagine against God? Question mark. What do you imagine against God? He will make an utter end. Affliction, affliction shall not rise up the second time. Amen. Now let's take a moment and try to analyze how could God say that affliction, sin, will not arise the second time? And is he really telling the truth? Amen. He's giving that assurance to the angels, too. That's right. And other worlds that haven't sinned, that it won't happen again. And yet, the angels, the two-thirds, whatever, that are still in heaven, and all the other worlds, could choose to sin again. They have that freedom, and yet God says, Sin will not arise a second time. Affliction will not arise. So, we're going to take a few minutes to just sort of look at this whole thing and say, what really is God trying to say here? Uh, thank you for reading that scripture, your daughter. Because the Bible does say, John 8, 36... 
If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed for eternity, and sin will not arise again Amen. in your own mind or in any other person's mind. Well, when we really look at this thing, we have to say, okay, let's, 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 let's go. This amazing promise that we have, that man will never fail again, will be carried out in a freedom setting which God gives to us. Can you imagine? God will give us that type of freedom, and yet he says sin or affliction will not arise again. So how is it? Our first kind of thought or response to this is that uh, evil will be removed. There will be no inclination to sin. So obedience will be natural. That's what we kind of think in a way. However, let's face it again, that this condition existed in heaven. Lucifer had that same privilege. All the other worlds have. And yet, sin did come up. This was the condition before. And uh, I think you and I have to almost admit that the major problem of our church today is that it's rich and increased with goods. And it's depleted of the real, true love, that true freedom. You see, God is able to make such a promise. And is he really able to make that promise? Is it really going to be true? And how will it be true? What is it that makes God say that, knowing that it's not going to happen again? God is God. We are humans. So, Malachi 4.1, God says that the cleansing fire that purifies the earth will, in process, also remove sin, both root and branch. John 15.5, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Here Jesus was speaking to his disciples after one had separated himself from the twelve. Once separated, he chose to. Would it not be just as true to say that Satan is also the root from which the branches of the world are growing. So you have the good and the bad. Very, very interesting. So now we come back to Nehemiah. It'll never happen again. Why? 
We covered a, lot, a little part of it in our Sabbath school. There was a little touch of it. Did you know that the first enemy, Lucifer, who is a father of affliction, of sin, the first enemy arose by looking to himself. Are you getting it? There was no sin in the whole universe. There was freedom. Total freedom. Total love. But Lucifer began to look at himself. Do you think that God made Lucifer so beautiful, so wonderful, that he couldn't help but look at himself? No. If you look at it, let's reason, let's reason together. God makes everybody beautiful, everything beautiful. But Lucifer chose to look at himself. And that's where the problem is. We've got the freedom to look at Jesus or to look at ourselves. You know, I, I could end right now by just saying one thing. We'll have the same freedom, but what happened on this earth, in fact, I will say this and I'll come back to it again. What happened on this earth, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We can have everlasting life if we look to Jesus and what he's done for God so loved rather than ourselves. That's where it's at. And even right now you can hear, see, think, and your mind just keeps going in all directions. And all you have to do is always say, we have to look at Jesus, look at Jesus, not at myself, not at me, not at yourself, no, and nobody. That's the kind of freedom we have. But sin will never rise again because people will know fully that God so loved that he gave and Jesus came and lived a perfect life. And we have to keep looking unto Jesus because that salvation signs we will study throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity and we'll still not come to the bottom of it. Or to the top of it. Once you get that point. You've got something. That only the Holy Spirit can have you. See it. Understand it. And realize. That that's what Satan hates. And you know how hard he tried to destroy. Jesus when he was first born. And when you look at. Why. For God so loved the world that he gave. And how. Jesus was born through Mary and took upon himself humanity. And he'll keep that humanity throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. I mean, how can we understand that with our own little mind? And yet God planned it all and now promises that what he's doing, there's a guarantee that sin will not arise again. Affliction will not arise again. And boy, believe me, friends, 
You better realize that that's why Satan is trying his hardest to make sure that people don't understand this thing. And he keeps them everywhere. But as the Bible says, just a handful. In fact, when Jesus came to this world, he only had a handful of disciples that he had to deal with. And as I just read, one of them being in the very presence of Christ leaves. Wow. So I guess as we look at this whole situation, sin is powerful. Its deadly nature is powerful. In fact, it's rather interesting that Science of the Times in 1889 says this, angelic perfection failed in heaven. What a statement. Human perfection failed in Eden. Our only hope is perfect trust in the blood of him who can save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. What a quotation. Powerful, powerful quotation. It's found in Science of the Times in December of 1889. So the uttermost means saving from self. We can be saved from self. Lucifer is lost forever. That's what the Bible says. The one-third of the angels are lost forever. So to the uttermost means saving from self, not in self. So the, that sinful nature is something that we have to be very, very careful. That we trust not in self, but totally in God's word. Totally in God's word. That's very well put, and I like that. Because that type of freedom and then that type of commitment to have God's will be done in us, not our will, makes a world of a difference. Yeah. It's rather interesting that with this type of a uh, discussion, uh, 
We, we have another quotation that is very interesting, Modern Blessings, page 143, and it's, it can't be put in better words than what we have here. It, it's, it, it simply says this. We cannot retain self and yet enter the kingdom of God. If we ever attain unto holiness, it will be through the renunciation of self and the reception of the mind of Jesus. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. And you know, if I may just inject this, that when we have the mind of Jesus and accept him as our personal savior, he takes control of us and does everything for us. But we have to allow him, and as he guides us, we do his will, not our will. Now, you can look at me and say, okay, how do you, how do, you do all this? Well, you know, even here, I have to be very careful that I don't try to tell you. I want the Holy Spirit to tell you how the Holy Spirit does it for you. So let, let's, let's continue on uh, because I think it's very, very important that we continue. Amen. Uh, selfish thoughts are not only unfit and for us here on on earth, but also for heaven. And here is what Selected Messages says here to explain more fully how God has promised something, he's going to fulfill it, and how we have to have the mind of Jesus. And here is a quote. When self is woven into our labors, then the truth we bear to others does not sanctify, refine, and ennoble our own hearts. It will not testify that we are fit vessels for the master's use. Powerful. In fact, this verse explains what Jesus said in the Bible, and you will probably recall it. I'm not sure exactly where it is, but do you remember the experience that Jesus said that there will be some that will come to him and say, but Lord, we have done this, 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 this. We even cast out devils. And he says, I don't know you. This fits. Are you getting the point? Yes. Beautiful. You know, this is what I like about this little church. Is I bring in the Bible, Spirit, Prophet, so forth, and we all have what they call a fellowship, and we all build a sermon. Beautiful. Yes. And that even hits us even stronger to realize 
that there is a time where we think that we are free and that we're doing God's will and we really aren't. And there's a time when we submit ourselves fully to God to the place where he does everything and we praise him for it forever. May I take a little moment again? Did you notice that the Bible does tell us that, that we have cast out. We have done this. I have done this. I have done this. I know you're not. It's God that does everything, created us and sustains us. And unless we somehow, with God's Holy Spirit, see it, sure. I even said this a little while ago that God gave us brains. Let's use it. Okay? Of course. But let's thank the Lord for giving us brains and ask God to help us to use our brains right. Yes. So what you're saying right now is that this kind of type of people that are saying, we cast demons on your name and we did and I did that. They're doing the same thing as Lucifer did that to heaven. Exactly, exactly. And that's the point. Please. Would you help me complete the equation on how? Please. That's why we're here. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 tells us. And then 2 Peter 1, 3, 1, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 also says that we will overcome the same as Jesus did by the Holy Spirit being blended with my Holy My, my humanity will be blended with the true Holy Spirit. Exactly. 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 And I'm glad you said it because that's a part of, and the Bible is full of it if our eyes are open to see. For instance, Hebrews 12, 25, see that ye refuse not him that speaketh. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When they speak, do not refuse what they say. And I'm here to tell you, God help me not to refuse. Second Corinthians 5, 7. Walk by faith. How do you walk by faith? Well, it kind of explains in Second Corinthians because it says, walk by faith, not by sight. When we walk by sight, we see everything, and then we get our, all the senses involved, and then we go by feelings rather than by a principle, by faith, to believe that God means what he says, and he sends what he means. And that's why sin will never rise again. And remember, you have the choice to be there forever and ever and ever where sin will never rise again. Explain to me what that means. Do we understand? 
Yeah, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And every day will be a better day, a better day, better day, better day. You know, and listen, in this world, we say that'll be a culture shock. No. We are now changed. We're made in the image of God. We've been translated and whatever. And it'll just be naturally so. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Beautiful, beautifully and well put. Did, did, did you know that, uh, that uh, it's rather interesting that we have uh, some very interesting statements about Job 1.8. And you remember we studied about Job last quarter, I mean the quarter before, and uh, the characteristics that he had. And uh, yet God was able to say to Job, a perfect and an upright man. Was Job perfect and upright? In God's eyes, yes. In, ours. <laughs> In God's eyes, yes. In ours, no. And we sometimes think that we can judge and, uh, and uh, God is missing the boat. Uh, the, this commendation from the Lord came in spite of the fact that Job testifies in the book of Job, chapter 42, verse 6. It says, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Did you notice one word? God calls him perfect, and yet he says, I abhor myself. That's the struggle. And unless God's Holy Spirit can get this thing through to your mind, and I know you're permitting God's Holy Spirit to deal with you on it, I, I, I just have a hard time to actually explain exactly what it means. Uh, let, let, me, let me share something else that is rather interesting. Uh, Alvin, you're the one that said the true freedom is to keep the commandments. And, uh, and so forth and so on. I, I, I'm glad that I have the Bible. And I'm glad I've got the spirit of prophecy as well. Because I don't have to explain some things myself. Because who am I? But I can sure read some of the things. The man who attempts to keep the commandments of God from a sense of obligation only, merely, because he is required to do so, will never enter the joy of obedience. He does not obey. If that's what we're doing, we're not obeying. If we think that we have to come to church on Sabbath morning, because we have to, because somebody is going to speak here, so we don't want to be away, so we kind of feel we have to. Be careful, be careful, be careful. You cannot play 
with God. You have to be honest. Let me read further. When the requirements of God are accounted a burden because they cut across human inclination, we may know that the life is not a Christian life. True obedience is the outworking of a principle within. It springs from a love of righteousness, the love of the law of God. You do it because you love God. Absolutely. And before you even loved God, God loved you. Amen. The essence of all righteousness is loyalty to our Redeemer. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came here and we look at what he's done for us. And we say, how can we help but not love him and have his will done in our lives. Completely, completely, completely. Not our will, but God's will. And when God, when you give God your will, he weaves in and gives it back to us with the mind of Jesus. I tell you, friends, it is so beautiful and so wonderful. And what I've just read to you is from Christ's object lesson. It says, the essence of all righteousness is loyalty to our Redeemer. This will lead us to do right because it is right. Because right doing is pleasing to God. And yet... Most people do what they do because it pleases them. Are you getting the point? And we've got to make sure that we believe in the Bible fully. So, let me carry on. In other words, God has a plan. And what a plan he's got. And... We must praise him for everything because if there's any little part that we have in salvation or in life, then we can boast. <laughs> we did it. And we can't. We can't do that. You can't. There's no way that we can do it. In fact, Desire of Ages, page 762, says this, the law requires righteousness. A righteous life, a perfect character. That's what the law requires. <coughs> and this, you and I can't do, is what the law requires. You and I cannot meet the claims of God's holy law. Now watch this, quoting Desire Pages. But Christ... Coming to earth as a man, lived a holy life, and developed a perfect character. This he offers as a gift, a free gift, to all who will receive him. 
Would you mind bowing your head right now and accept that gift? Please. And if I may just add, if it's a gift, it's a complete gift. You had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Well, I'm only half finished with what I had to present to you, but maybe I can conclude by saying this, that I would like to quote the last little quotation and uh, I think that this will sort of summarize it all it's, it's a very beautiful way it says here quoting and if I may just tell you where it's from it's from the Mount of Blessings and also from Romans 8.28 here it is in conclusion the Father's presence encircled Christ and nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world for God so loved the world Jesus was born came here and God allowed only certain things to happen here was his source of comfort and it is for us God will never allow anything for you that you cannot bear with Christ's help. Amen. He who is imbued, Alwyn, with the spirit of Christ abides in Christ. The blow that is aimed at him falls upon the Savior. Can you really believe that? then why do we react the way we do when something happens to us? All kinds of things. The blow that is aimed at him, at you, me, falls upon the Savior who surrounds you and me with his presence. Whatever comes to him comes from Christ. Can you see it? He has no need to resist evil, for Christ is his defense. You have the mind of Christ. You have Christ as your defense. Trust in Christ fully. Nothing can touch him except by our Lord's permission. And all things that are permitted, Romans 8, 28, work together for good to them that love God. Romans 8, 28. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. What 
kind of perfection do you now see that you need? A perfect life? Living perfectly? Or a perfect trust in God, in Christ and the Holy Spirit? Perfect trust. And when you have that type of perfection, sin will never arise again. Are you kidding me? Beautiful friends. Somehow, when we look at the love of God and see that He has done everything for us, even created us, and here, because of Adam and Eve, sure, we've all sinned, have come short of the glory of God. There's no good in us at all. But through Christ, and we trust in Him perfectly. Sin will never rise again. So make sure that it even doesn't arise while we're here on earth, if at all possible. But if something happens, we have an advocate. We can confess. And when we confess, he will forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we're cleansed from all unrighteousness, what are we? I guess righteous. It's beautiful, friends. Think about it. Meditate about it. Elwin, I'm finished. Yeah. Now you take over. <laughs>